postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about the emotional component of breastfeeding and going back to work. Returning to work can be a pivotal moment on your breastfeeding journey that stirs up all sorts of feelings. How can you prepare yourself, your baby, your caregivers, and your workplace to set you up for physiological and emotional success? Robin Kaplan has answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show, your feedback, requests, ratings, reviews, your support, telling your friends, all the things. 
All right. So today we are wrapping up World Breastfeeding Week, which happens during the first seven days in August every year. And also August is National Breastfeeding Month in the U.S. In honor of all that, we're tackling a breastfeeding topic today with the amazing Robin Kaplan. And Robin's been on the show a couple of times before, and I so appreciate her thoughtful insights. Robin has many resources available for breastfeeding families, including a book called Latch and an online course. And she's also generously provided a discount code for Birthful listeners for her course, which she mentions at the end of the episode. So make sure you listen until then so you can get the code. Okay, here we go. Hello, Robin. It's uh, always a delight to have you on this show. Welcome back. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love being, I love chatting with you. So thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And um, why don't you tell a a little bit about yourself to the listeners who haven't heard your other episodes? And we will make sure to link in the show notes to those other episodes so people can talk about it, uh, can listen. But yeah, who are you? (laughs) Um, My name is Robin Kaplan. I am a lactation consultant in San Diego. I um, am the founder and CEO of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center which started in 2009. I, I can't believe someone said to me a couple of days ago, like you've been in business for almost a decade. And I was like, holy cow, like that's, that's crazy. I, this is uh, the longest job I've ever had. Um, so we, we have a space here in San Diego and uh, I also have a book called Latch, a handbook for breastfeeding with confidence at every stage. And, um, and also an online course called Breastfeeding for the Working Family. So love to connect with families that are breastfeeding, not only in San Diego, but um, worldwide. Yes. And it is in that vein that we're talking today. When you proposed this topic, I was like, yes, because this is something people don't talk about, the emotional component of breastfeeding and going back to work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because there's you can get caught up in the practicalities and, and also when you're doing it, you have a newborn. <laughs> so life's already kind of upheaved. Emotional. <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting right to it, what kind of preparation do people need to do? Um, let's start with themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really important to look at the the emotional side of the preparation of going back to work. So you have such a wide gamut of and range of emotions that one could feel. Um, I remember feeling super anxious about going back to work. So what was my pumping schedule going to look like? How was I going to start talking with my boss about the fact that I was going to have to take my shirt off at work and put put pump flanges on there and get milk for my baby while during the workday. You know, that's kind of a real personal thing. And it felt weird to pull that personal aspect into the work environment. And so I remember feeling that anxiety about it. Um, So there was a lot of stress as well, like, am I going to be able to pump enough milk for my baby? Um, what if my very well-meaning caregivers overfeed my baby? I, I definitely experienced that as well. My both my boys had a very good knack of convincing their their well-meaning grandparents that they needed six to eight ounces per bottle three times a day. And for most breastfeeding and pumping parents, you all know that um, bringing home 16 to 24 ounces a day is is not um, a realistic expectation. And so there were there were those components that that I personally experienced. And I see a lot of those in my my patients as well. But then there's also this side of excitement. So some I, I mean, I remember loving my job. And although I was feeling this stress and anxiety, I was also excited to get back to work to where I not every conversation revolved around napping and pooping. And we could, we could have adult conversations about really interesting topics, I could go to the bathroom by myself, I could, you know, without anybody in there with me. And so there was that component, but would also cause some guilt, like, oh, man, like, I should be why, why am I happy to be here? I should be, you know, I should be wanting to be with my kid 24 seven. So it's just, it, it, it makes you feel almost like, you know, you've got these crazy roller coasters going on. And, um, and it can just feel super 
uncomfortable and overwhelming. And this is all in the preparation as well, or that can take place during preparation and during maternity leave as well as when you're when you're actually physically back at work. Yes. Oh my goodness. All those things that you mentioned are so good. As you were going through, I'm taking notes and thinking, yes, all those feelings I can relate. I can relate all, to all the all the things, right? All the <laughs> things. Um, so I do want to unpack them a little bit and also unpack another feeling that that came to mind as you were talking about in terms of the guilt, um, or actually expectations that create a lot of anxiety of this idea. And there was a meme going around saying we expect um women to work as if they don't have children and parent as if they don't work. <laughs> right. Right. And then so that work-life balance. I mean, that that's that's a joke. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist, but it ties into that anxiety. If you're thinking I should be able to work at the same level as if I don't have kids and this is an expectation you're putting on yourself and your boss and you're thinking your boss has that expectation of you and then you it adds a layer of stress with anything, it, any problems or obstacles arise from the fact that you have a child within your workspace too. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I remember feeling, I mean, I feel this now and my kids are teenagers. Like how, how are you supposed to give 100% to your family and I mean, your spouse or your partner as well. Like, I mean, they definitely fit in there too. So don't forget you, self-care. Do you, I, oh, well, <laughs> self-care is almost a joke, right? And, but that's the hard part is that, what do they say on an airplane? Put your, put your oxygen mask on first, mm -hmm. you know, before you put it on your kids. Um, and that's the hard part I feel um, is that, you know, it's hard to give a hundred percent when we have so many things on our plate and they all require very unique emotional components, they, you know, physical, you know, how your kids need you physically, um, even as teenagers, you know, they, they still need you. And so it's, and then throwing in self-care can be really, really challenging, but so important. So I, I think that that, those expectations, it's almost like we have to relinquish some of them. And it's not that we can't be good employees and we can't be good parents all at the same time, but there are things that, I feel in my own life, you know, and I recommend for my patients as well, there are things you got to let go. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm the best person at giving advice, but not taking my own. But, um, but there were certain things like, I mean, I help around the house, um, you know, where, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough, I have someone who can come and help clean the house once a week, because that was something that was just taking time away from my, my ability to be with my kids and my spouse on the weekends. Um, granted, I guess they could have helped, you know, the, at this point. But, you know, again, my point is, is what can you offload on other people so that you can be present in the things that are most important? Yes. And, and in adjusting expectations, definitely figuring, learn, honing that and working that delegating muscle, like practicing yeah, delegating yeah. stuff. I am horrible at delegating um, because there's such an emotional component tied into it if I delegate yeah. then is I'm not good enough because I why can't I do it right this super yeah. super woman trap that is definitely letting uh, us down. yeah yeah I agree but it's funny I mean in business I have found it's easier to delegate than in, in, in my personal life but you know I, I'm I work with a business coach I've had for a couple of years and she was like what are you spending time on that you can pay someone else to do and, you know, and help their livelihood as well so you know it's like I hired a bookkeeper years ago who I mean, the amount of stress that that relieved in my business was incredible. Um, and I'm also helping to support her family. And now I have more time to do the things that I need to do. So just looking at what what are you comfortable with delegating? What are the tasks that you really don't enjoy, both in work and in the home and and offloading them um, mm -hmm. can be huge to help provide more space for the things that are super important. Absolutely. So crucial. Um so then with going back to the things that you mentioned at the beginning of let's break it down to this anxiety of, you know, your pumping schedule and will you be able to pump enough and feeling stress for that? And whether you're going to be, how do you talk to your boss? Like those are things you can't delegate. Correct. <laughs> and, but there are things that you can prepare for. And I think that that what I, what I've whittled all of this down to having years of being able to reflect is that, um, it's all in the preparation. And you, you know, 
although our maternity leave in the United States is terrible, um, we do have a little bit of time off, but it's nothing like in other countries. But during that time, there are actionable steps that we can take as we prepare to return to work to eliminate that anxiety. So for example, you can start your freezer stash a couple weeks after your baby's been born. You can start a bottle so after a couple weeks after your baby's been born. So starting to get all of those pieces working and integrated into your daily routine means that they're not the things that you're stressing about that week before you go back to work. Um, meeting with your boss while on maternity leave is critical from my perspective because if anybody's out there listening, and you may remember this as well, Adriana, that first week back at work or that first day, there's so much involved emotionally in that, that if you haven't figured out already where you're going to pump, what your pumping schedule is going to look like, all that kind of stuff, and layering that on top of the emotional aspect of leaving your baby for however many hours you're going to be gone that day, um, that is just a whole bag of mess right there. And so if you're able to meet with your supervisor before you go back to work, talk about what the lactation accommodation policy is in your, in your workspace. Um, what have other people done? Um, where is the lactation room? How often are you going to be able to pump? What are those breaks going to look like? Are they going to be paid or unpaid based on if you get you know, paid breaks at your workspace. And then talking about what your needs are and how they're temporary. And so that way, you know, bosses know this. And the thing is, is taking 15 minutes off a couple times a day is really not that big of a deal. It's only when we feel like we can't have those conversations or we haven't had them yet um, can, can increase our anxiety. So how can we have those, how can we prepare you know, our, our work situations. So that way, when you arrive that first day at work, you've already worked out the logistics. And so that way, then you're just dealing with the emotional side, which I remember crying like multiple times for that first week back at work, but then things got better. You know, you just get kind of used to it. Yeah. So when is a good time to have that conversation during pregnancy? Is there at any point, as soon as you can, what do we think? Well, I would say even, I mean, not necessarily during pregnancy. I mean, you could before you go on maternity leave, you know, if there's kind of like a an exit, you know, meeting that you have. Um, but I remember, I, I think it's more common that um, it could be really helpful to have this during maternity leave. So maybe a couple weeks before your anticipated return date, you go in and you meet with your supervisor about that return date, as well as your desire to pump while at work and what that what you would like that to look like as well as what are the what are the policies already in place in that in that workspace so i'm i think i mean a couple of weeks before should be fine and then that way say your workspace doesn't have a policy um, or they're not sure where you're going to pump now you just gave the supervisor a couple weeks to figure it out and so that way you can check in like again like a week before making sure like hey did you put together that temporary or permanent let, you know, nurse, um, pumping space for me and where is it going to be and how far is it from where I actually physically do my work and things like that. And say somebody goes in and meets resistance from the boss or there's like, uh, I don't, yeah. we don't know. And I'm not sure we can do this. And they, so what are legally they have to, what are the, they do. yeah. What? They do. So in the United States, um, and again, the reason I'm focusing kind of on the United States is because most other companies have longer than six to 12 weeks off. And so, you know, they, they might be returning after a year of being at home with their baby. And so they're not needing to pump at work as much. <laughs> um, but for all of us in the United States who tend to go back to work on the earlier side, yes. So there is um, a wonderful resource called Break Time for Nursing Mothers. And um, it's a little outdated. We really should be updating this with break time for nursing parents. <laughs> but um, this was created quite a while ago, I think maybe in 2010. But it does state all of the laws that are for the United States. And they are the most basic. So um, your state, like California, has much stronger language and many more benefits for nursing parents when they return back to work. And then if you're 
if your supervisor is like, well, I mean, they essentially, if, if you have under 50 employees in your plate, in your, in your business that you're working for, the law doesn't actually specify that they have to follow these, which is kind of a bummer, but there is this other resource. So the, the, Break Time for Nursing Mothers is on the U.S. Department of Labor website, and we can put these links in the show notes, right? Yep, definitely. Okay. Um, And then the other one, which I really love, is called Supporting Nursing Moms at Work, and it's through the Office of Women's Health, through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The reason I love this website so much is that it has, like, thinking out of the box. So, for example, like, um, they have a video from Walmart or from Carl's Jr., where these are places that may not have specific places that they can create for pumping, you know, spaces for nursing parents, pumping parents. And so, for example, Walmart, um, that's shown in this video, changed one of their dressing rooms into a really nice pumping room. Um, Carl's Jr., I think, created a temporary space. And so it, it doesn't have to be hard. But if you're if you're finding some resistance, this Supporting Nursing Moms at Work website is phenomenal because it gives you language to use with your supervisor as well as creative solutions that you can present to them. Like, hey, I realize that we don't have a room. So could we get these like temporary walls um, to put up or room dividers that can be moved. Like there are so many different options. And so that's why I love this website. Fantastic. Let's take a quick break when we come back. Um, now that they've got language and places to talk with the boss, let's or with the supervisor, let's talk about the emotional component of, of leaving your baby um, and a bit of what that's about. We'll be right back. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, We are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. And we are back talking with Rob and Kaplan about the emotional aspect of going back to work and breastfeeding. Um, so people went in and talked to their supervisor, hopefully a few weeks before, and it was easy and things are set up and they have an idea of what their day is going to look like and when they can pump. When it's happening, <laughs> that first day back, what are the emotions that might come up and how can they prepare for them or deal with them at the moment? That's such a great question. Um, I think, you know, when we look at where are these emotions coming from, um, I mean, one, you know, we have this kind of, um, I'm calling mama bear experience with our with our children that we're the, you know, we're the main caregivers often, most of the time. And so relinquishing that control can feel really, really awkward. And then when you add in that component of breastfeeding, you know, you've just spent weeks, months, 
working at creating this breastfeeding relationship, or if you're pumping, you know, creating this milk supply for your baby. And then all of a sudden it can feel like the rug's been pulled from underneath you because while you were breastfeeding, you most likely were breastfeeding on demand and that was keeping up your supply. Or if you were a pumping parent, even at, at home, you were able to set up the schedule, which fit the needs of both you and your baby. And now we have these external forces that are saying, you can only pump at this time and you can only pump for this long. And if, you know, if, and you're just, I remember feeling so worried. What if my baby doesn't want to continue to breastfeed? What if I just put all of this effort and now it's going to be sabotaged by me going back to work and that feeling of powerlessness um, feels uh it, that that is what I find most of my patients talking about, and I that really resonates with me as well. It's like you've just removed my ability to care for my baby in the way that I want to, and now I have to relinquish that control and that and that feels it feels icky. Mm. So, um, so that being the case, I mean, one just recognizing that this feeling, it, uh, many many working parents feel this way. And so, and even if you're not breastfeeding or pumping, like, I mean, we feel, we often feel this way anyway, like we're, we're handing over our child to somebody else that, that feels weird. Even if it's, even if it's a partner, even if it's a parent, you know, grandparent, um, that can feel really uncomfortable. And so understanding that that feeling of discomfort is normal um, and that most parents feel that way um, can sometimes be helpful. I think I often recommend for parents to, to take a, do a trial run that week before. So that way, um, you can also work out kinks with the caregiver too. So the caregiver is going to start taking care of your child and it's going to have a ton of questions. And it's kind of nice to work those out before you're sitting at, you know, at your office or, you know, in your place of business. And so making sure that they're, that they have the strategies to soothe your baby other than popping a bottle into their mouth, making sure they're not overfeeding them. Um, so that way, you know, creating unrealistic expectations of what your milk supply should look like um, that you're bringing home every day. Um, so that I feel, does that answer your question? I feel like I started going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And there are many rabbit holes in this conversation for sure. I know, right? So many right? ways to go. Tell me, um, just in terms of so to put some clarity and numbers into it and this idea, because that's a very valid feeling, especially if you have a caregiver that's overfeeding your baby compared to what your milk supply is going to do. And that creates that a new anxiety of am I going to be able to pump as much um, for my baby? What do pe- what should people expect in terms of what do babies need um f- in terms of milk so, yeah yeah so there there is a calculation for it um and so essentially it, it really at this point is as long as you're not going back to work in the first two weeks after baby's born um th- there's a calculation based on their weight and so essentially you are going to look at how much your baby weighs and um so starting at nine, starting at eight pounds, they need about, um, let me think of this off the top of my head. Well, we'll start at 10 pounds. Sorry. So 10 pounds, they need like 24 ounces a day, 11 pounds. They need 26 ounces a day, 12 pounds. They need about 28, 13 pounds. They need about 30. And then they cap out at that. So most children are taking in about 30 to 32 ounces a day once they've peaked and once they've hit 13 pounds and above. So that's why the that growth curve is really, really steep at first, but then it starts to kind of taper off a little bit. So you take that number of how much your baby needs in a 24-hour period, and you divide that by the number of feedings, and there are your bottles. So for example, if we have a 10-pound baby who's feeding eight times in a 24-hour period, that baby needs about three ounces per bottle, um, because this is a kiddo that's still feeding and breastfeeding in the middle of the night. So you did and 24, let's go out 24, through the math, 24 yeah, divided by 24, eight. Yeah, and you get three ounces per bottle. Three ounces per feeding, which would equal a bottle when they're with their caregiver. So as babies start to shave off some of their feedings, so maybe some babies are feeding six times in a 24-hour period, the total amount doesn't go down, but the total amount per feeding goes up a little bit. 
So, um, so most children hover between three and five ounces per feeding as they're, you know, eking up to four months, five months, six months, stuff like that, unless they're still feeding pretty frequently in the middle of the night, which that's totally fine as well. Um, and so I, that's kind of the expectation at that point that, that the pumping parent would be able to bring home as much as they're providing in the bottle for their baby while they are at work. Right. And because also in a eight hour work day, say you try to feed baby just before you leave, you try to feed yep. baby as soon as you can, as you get home, like nurse, right? Yep. Um, so that you're not having to pump for that. So then you're looking at probably how many pumping sessions during that eight hour period, if you're like doing that structure. Yeah, two to three times. Um, I typically recommend for parents with younger children, so ones who haven't started solids or not even started solids, but ones who aren't like actually, you know, taking more solids in that three times a day can be really helpful um, to really just keep up a nice robust milk supply. But as baby starts to get older, say the nine month, eight, you know, range where they're, they're really starting to enjoy solids most will at that time, then they might even be able to drop down to, to two pumping sessions a day. And one of my favorite hacks of getting down from three pumping sessions to two pumping sessions at work is learning how to pump in your car, especially if you have to commute, because you just eliminated one of those pumping sessions that needed to happen at work. And even if your baby breastfed before you left, you will still probably have milk in there based on just that, you know, your body's accumulating a lot more over the middle of the night than throughout the day. Yeah. And also that your body gets used to as things adapts, as things changes. So it'll, yep. if you are always pumping at that time, it'll have more milk at that time in theory. Yeah. Than yeah. In later theory, on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause that's how it adapts when baby suddenly grows and drops a feeding and then, yep you know, the first few days you might be like, oh my goodness, my breasts are so enormous. And then they adapt that at yeah, that time, exactly. you don't need the milk. Um, so during those pumps, how realistic is to say you're pumping three times and your baby needs about three ounces per feeding, you know, how many, how, I think I just want to bring a little bit of like, huh, relief, kind of like I can do that. I don't need to pump four ounces at every time. Well, and I think it's important to realize that you're going to learn your body's rhythms and routines too. So most times when you pump, you know, first, your first pump of the day is often going to yield the most, um, unless you just breastfed right before. But if you have a couple hours, you're going to get the most. So I would find I would get the most out at like my 930 pumping session. Then I would get my medium amount at noon. And then my 230 pumping session was my lowest. But the combination of all of those roughly got me around four ounces per time. So I was bringing home probably about 12 ounces each day. And so, you know, again, depending on the age of your baby and how many feedings they have in a 24-hour period, if your baby needs about three ounces per feeding, then my hope is, is that the pumping parent is getting out three ounces. But if their baby's getting closer to four or five ounces, because maybe they're only feeding six times a day, then the hope would be to get somewhere around there as well. And I do have an episode with Nancy Moorbacher that I'll link in the show notes that I did a while ago, but she's so fantastic, which is she's called amazing. Oh, she's amazing. Breastfeeding and going back to work. And we go into a lot of the detail of this, of the quantities and how to maximize your pumping. And what about if baby's waking up a lot in the middle of the night to eat more because they don't want to take so much mm -hmm. with the bottles because they get yeah. the nurture of you. And yeah. I mean, because coming back to work usually makes changes up what happens yeah. during the night. It can. Um, and sometimes it's just temporarily. But uh, yeah, we call that reverse cycling. So when baby tends to eat more at night than they do during the day. But typically kiddos, you know, it, you talk about, you, you just brought up a really good point. Like we forget that it's not just us who's going through a new transition, but it's also our baby. And so they tend to be a little punky for the first couple of weeks um, when they're separated from, from you. And so that being the case, yeah, they, they may not feed as much, take in as much 
with the caregiver than they do when they breastfeed with you. And so it can, um, it can take a little bit of time for them to find a new rhythm as well. And that's, that's absolutely not uncommon. Well, and that's going to bring up more guilt too. Like my baby doesn't (laughs) (laughs) want to be with me and I'm not with them. Yeah. I know. Although think about if you're able to reframe it where it's like, look how much they miss me and how excited they are to see me when I get home. And so um, I remember feeling that way that especially that first couple of weeks, like, you know, you're leaving the house, they're crying, you're handing them off to somebody else. And you're just like crying the whole way to work. Like, what have I done? But then I would call the caregiver like half an hour later, be like, how long did that last for? And she'd be like, the minute you close the door, it stopped. And once I started realizing that these crying periods or this, this, you know, the emotions that went around the separation, the physical separation, you know, before, you know, had before I headed to work, um, were emotional for both of us. It didn't continue that way the whole day for my kids. And so it helped me to realize like, okay, this sucks, but they're actually fine. They're having a great day when I'm not there. But then when I get home, I mean, they're so they're like the puppies that like piddle when you walk in, you know, (laughs) like, it's just they're so happy to see you that um, that that can kind of heal some of that guilt, you know, absolutely. And let's take another break, because I want to get into a big chunk of discussion. And I don't want to interrupt it. But um, when we come back, let's talk about that preparation. Or is there something you can do to prepare your baby for the separation? And um, we talked a lot about your preparation for yourself. What about baby? So let's do that. We'll be right back. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we are back talking with Robin Kaplan about breastfeeding and going back to work and all the emotional components of that and what you can do to prepare. So before I said we were going to move on to what you can do to prepare baby before we do that. Is there something about preparing yourself that we haven't touched upon so we can, you know, nicely wrap that up? (laughs) Um. I, I think, you know, so, so some of the logistical stuff, um, you know, there's definitely more information, um, like you said, in Nancy's episode, as well as, you know, my online course, we go over more of the logistical stuff as well. So I would say, you know, making sure that you're becoming friends with your pump. That's really critical because this is going to be your new BFF at work. And so you want to make sure that you're working out any challenges that you're having with becoming friends with this item um, before headed back to work. And then we, we did touch about, you know, on the supervisor, we touched on the emotional side for, for, um, for mom leaving. So yeah, I think we can definitely jump into the baby stuff at this point. Very cool. So how do you, do you, can you prepare your baby? How do you prepare your baby? Yeah, so I mean, it, I guess it really depends on the age of the baby. Um, obviously, our younger infants, um, 
they I'm preparing them emotionally. Like there, there's not too much that you can do with that. The older they get is when they start to get that separation anxiety. And so, um, and what I, are, I like, sorry, oh, what ahead. are we talking about in terms of age? Like what's younger, what's older? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess younger, under three months, I mean, they, so I, I guess essentially when you're able to hand off your baby to someone else and they don't cry, then that part's fairly easy to go back to work. But when they get to that point where I'm trying to think of separation anxiety, like development wise, like six to eight months, when, um, when you hand your baby off to somebody else and they look at them, like, I don't know you. And, um, and so they kind of freak out, then that, that time can be a little bit more challenging, but again, there's, there, there, there are a few things that you can do, but it, you know, it's not as easy as like telling a toddler, like, I'm really sorry that I have to leave, but guess what? When I get, I will be home after nap or I will be home at dinner. And, you know, you can actually have a conversation with them, but I assume we're talking about kiddos younger than a year. So looking at, you know, ways to prepare them would be first off, having them spend some time with their caregiver, whomever it's going to be, before you go back to work. So this, this isn't a stranger. And it also allows the, the two of them, the caregiver and the baby to figure out what their rhythm is going to look like. So more so preparing the caregiver, I think is critical. Um, arming them with tips and tricks that you find are helpful for soothing your baby. So meeting your baby's needs. As a breastfeeding parent, you, I mean, oftentimes we're like, just pop them on the boob, but the caregiver doesn't have magical boobs. And so that can make it really challenging. And so what are the strategies that you can, you can give them beyond feeding that will help create a peaceful environment when they start to get a little ramped up. So is it taking the baby outside, taking them on a walk, putting them in a carrier? Um, you know, do they like to be balanced? Um, you know, do they like tummy time to help kind of soothe them? Like what are, what are the activities? What are the strategies that we can arm these caregivers with, which in turn will prepare, which will allow baby to ease into this transition a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And it, I, one of the things that you said way earlier in the in the episode that really stuck with me is you, for you, you can just pop them on the boob, but it's important to give the caregiver other techniques so that they're not just popping in a bottle. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, put yourself in a caregiver's position who doesn't have magical boobs. You know, they're looking at this kiddo crying and like, okay, are you hungry? Are you tired? What should I do? And even the most seasoned caregivers, um, it, they still, they don't know your baby yet. And so what can you, what type of support can you give them to help meet the needs of your baby is going to help your baby transition much more easily into the temporary care of this caregiver while you're back at work. As well as I think a key component in this too, is just making sure that the caregiver is using baby led bottle feeding techniques, because if a baby is guzzling a bottle very, very quickly, then there's a chance that they're going to be overfed. They're going to get uncomfortable because their belly's going to hurt because they took in more milk than they're used to. And so then you're getting these fussy behaviors because the baby's uncomfortable. So making sure that they're, you know, they're taking breaks, they're adding in burping um, and just making sure that they, you know, milk's not spilling from the side of their mouth. Um, we have a, a YouTube video actually on baby led bottle feeding, which I'll give you the link to. And, um, and that's a great, video to share with caregivers. And so that way that can help ease some of the fussiness and um, just crabbiness of a baby when they're being fed in, um, in a baby led bottle feeding respectful manner. Yes, I love that you bring that up. I will definitely get the link for the show notes. And I haven't seen that, but maybe I have, but I haven't put it together. I've seen several baby-led bottle feedings uh, videos, but can we, for the since people are listening, can we break down a little bit of what that looks like? Because I find that, I mean, and of course, the best way is to look at the video, but I find that people, yeah, I get a little surprised that you're like even sitting the baby upright. 
Yeah. So baby needs to be um, in a semi-reclined position or upright. So we don't want them on their back because if you think about it, when you lay them on their back, no matter how slow flowing the bottle nipple is, they put a little bit of pressure on it and it just pours into their mouth. And so they are very, very passive and it can also passive feeders, which can cause choking um, and just air bubbles getting in their belly, all that kind of stuff. So we want them to be sitting somewhat upright or semi-reclined. We want to hold the bottle horizontally. Um, we want the bottle nipple to fill with milk, obviously, but so we're not, we don't want them sucking in air, but we also don't want it tipped at a, you know, at a vertical. <laughs> so that way, um, again, the milk would be pouring into their mouth at that point. So holding it somewhat horizontally, so that way they can take a couple sucks, pause, take a couple sucks, pause, um, just like they would do at the breast after a letdown, for example, you know, the letdown, they're guzzling, 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 and then they get it, you know, but they're still staying on there, but they're doing, uh, you know, more, more sucks than swallows. And we want them to do that at the bottle as well. We also want to find a bottle nipple that's appropriately fit for the baby's mouth. So that's why there are so many bottles out there because every baby's mouth, um, their tongue functions differently than others. And so we, we want to make sure that they're not spilling milk out of the sides of their mouths. So that way, that means that they're creating a seal around the bottle nipple. That's going to help them to feed more comfortably. And um, when babies are, you know, only up to a few months old, bottle feeding should take, you know, 15 minutes. So it's not going to take necessarily as long as a breastfeeding session, but, um, but, you know, somewhere up to 15 minutes. And then as they get older, um, I mean, even breastfeeding, I'm sure you remember is, you know, breastfeeding's like on and off, they're done in five minutes, and they've, you know, you go and weigh them, and they've taken in like five ounces, and you're like, okay, you are super efficient. So bottle feeding can kind of match that as well. But we always start with the slowest flowing bottle nipple. And then, um, and then most people, I mean, you actually can stay with that slow flow nipple throughout the entirety of the bottle feeding for the first year, if you'd like. Um, really, the only reason to move it up is if baby's getting frustrated because your flow is faster than the bottle and, um, and they're starting to not like the bottle. Does that make sense? Yes. And I love all of the things that you said. And I, I also like the thought of at the breath, like how supportive this is, not just that it's good because they're not going to be overfed and and get fussy and get air bubbles and all that that you got them you want them to be active feeders but that it also supports this is bottle feeding to support breastfeeding because at the breast they have to work like this yeah um, exactly and if you just have you know that horizontal free flow free flow of milk into them then you can also i find have i don't think it's nipple confusion it's you know flow preference when they're yeah, like for sure I just like how this bottle just flows in and I have to do anything and I'm not going to take that breast over there because that's too much work. Yeah. And I, we, I would say one of the biggest fears that I hear over and over again from our patients is that they're afraid that when they go back to work, that the baby's going to prefer the bottle over them. And in all honesty, usually it, it's pretty rare that that happens because by the time you go back to work, your baby has also formed an emotional connection to breastfeeding as well. And that can only be associated with you. So um, it really, we see babies preferring bottle over breast when there has been a breastfeeding challenge that hasn't been resolved. And then the baby gets wise that the bottle's easier. Um, or if milk supply starts to go down when back at work and baby's getting frustrated because the flow is slower than it used to be. But if, if breastfeeding's going well, I, I mean, I, I can't even think of a time that I've worked with a family when breastfeeding was going really well, that bottle feeding when um, mom was back at work, that that was sabotaged. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, there's always those outliers. Of course, there's always outliers, but but it's not as common when when breastfeeding is is mutually beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> it's going well for both parties. And so I find that a lot of people like that. Reality is breastfeeding is natural, but it is so it can be really hard. And yeah. I find a lot of people that have breastfeeding issues that go that take weeks and even months to sort yeah. out. Um, and then you're adding the going back to work 
somewhere in the middle of it, making it even more challenging. Um, And so that was part of my situation where really we didn't sort out a good breastfeeding relationship. And then there were issues that were, I wasn't a doula. I wasn't, I didn't know anything about breastfeeding. So that was a very different, I would do things very differently now. But at the time, she was frustrated breastfeeding wasn't enjoyable for either one of us was she wasn't getting what she needed and then when I had to go to work and she got a bottle and that was it she was finally for the first time a happy baby and wanted nothing to do with me and then I ended up being you know exclusively pumping for a few more months until I was like, this is my stopping point. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And that's the devastating part is that again, like we have to go back to works before we've been able to oftentimes before we've been able to establish an easy routine, you know? And so it's just, it's like, we're going right back after the fourth trimester. Like, you know, it's like, that's when things start to get good. And so it, it, it's like in your situation that you're describing, it's, it's heartbreaking because it's, you know, it's like, it's not fair, you know? Yeah. And I'm sorry that that happened. I, <laughs> I mean, I definitely see that in my practice as well. Um, and that's so amazing that you continued to pump for her um, because I know that that, that, that is hard. It, exclusive pumping is not an easy job. Um, and so she's very lucky that you did that. Oh my for God. Her. Exclusive yeah. pumping is the worst. So if people are out there in exclusive pumping, I have a special place for you in my heart. Um, yeah. however, it's so amazing. I do like though, I didn't have the support at that point. It, like I said, yeah. it would have been completely different had I known things that I know now. So things like this baby led bottle feeding techniques would have been at least less devastating or, or made the contrast between what was happening on my breast and what was happening with the bottle so stark. Um, yeah, possibly. So, yeah. 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 And, and of course, that wouldn't just happen without like fixing what was happening at the breast for sure. But people that are work getting support and that are working through challenges and moving things along, along with bottle led breastfeeding, are the, or, sorry, bottle-led feeding. <laughs> baby-led feeding, yeah. Bottle, yes, baby-led bottle, bottle feeding. There oh my go. God, baby-led bottle feeding, yes. Um, are there other techniques or things that they need to be mindful of as they're to get them more towards that success and not have the going back to work substantially derailed, derail mm. what they've been working so hard for? Such a good question. Um, I, I mean, I think the main thing is, you know, at this stage now, and you and I both have children around the same age, and I did have a lactation consultant, but I didn't realize that I could contact her after she helped me with the initial challenges. And so again, like, I know way more now as a lactation consultant that I did at that time, too, um, when I had my children. But so my best recommendation to prevent situations where you're unable to meet your breastfeeding goals because of going back to work, it's to prevent that from happening by working with a lactation consultant prior to going back to work. So having, creating your support team as best as you can to help you get breastfeeding as easy as possible before you go back to work, if you hope to continue that when you return to work. And, you know, it, it, in retrospect, I, I, I mean, I think you probably feel the same way many times. Like, I feel like we had those experiences so that way we could be more compassionate <laughs> for others. And it also, you know, drives you towards new professions. I mean, same thing. I wasn't a lactation consultant. I knew nothing about breastfeeding before I had my kids. And then through my struggles, I was like, hey, maybe this is something that I'd like other people not have to deal with. Um, and so I don't know, maybe there was a reason we had to go through that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. And we can't undo it. It was, that's what happened. That's our story. That's our story. That's our yeah. Story. Those are our stories. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But I think, you know, my biggest way that I can share and what I've learned is that do whatever you can to get the support you can during that time. So when you do go back to work, hopefully you have set yourself up to the most success possible. So that way it, you aren't derailed. You know, I like to say, you know, being able to meet your breastfeeding and pumping goals despite going back to work. Yes. And I think that's a great point in terms of if you've met, like I, 
I think with the preparation, same thing for a doula, lactation consultant, sleep consultant, all the things, I think it's important to have, you know, you have that initial early consultation. If you can see a lactation consultant while you're pregnant, do it. Just so you build a relationship, they can assess your breast, they can give you tips. And then you, you know, like, it doesn't have to be, I check in with you this week, and then we're done. You can have that on and off ongoing whenever things change. Just like, as a doula, I uh, and and, and postpartum educator, preparation educator, I tell parents, okay, when that first parent goes to back to work, what's your support system going to be for that first week? Because things are going to change drastically and you're going to need a little bit more help finding your new routine. And then yeah. once you're set, you're set. So I think that's a great point of having your lactation consultant on speed dial and maybe even mm-hmm. saying, hey, I am going back to work in two weeks. What can we work on? And, you know, just to be an alert that I might call you if I feel things are starting to derail so we can catch it before it snowballs. Yeah. Catching it before it snowballs is huge. 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 And that's the same for the... like after baby is those first few days when you're establishing the breastfeeding relationship. Yes. Yes. So we talked about uh, the preparing yourself, preparing your baby, your caregivers, figuring out your support, your supervisor and working with them. What else can be done for preparation of getting mentally ready to go back to work? While breastfeeding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we've covered most of it. The last piece I would say is reaching out to someone. Hopefully there's someone that you know that is in your workspace that has gone on a maternity leave and come back and is pumping. So someone who has already done this and can offer you strategies for what has worked and what hasn't worked for them. Um, I had this amazing colleague who the week before I went on a maternity leave was like, hey, let's let's go to lunch. I just want to talk to you about, you know, what to expect when, you know, during maternity leave and, and coming back to work. And she essentially just kind of laid it all out for me. And it really demystified a lot of that, those unknowns. And so, and then if there's not someone who, um, you know, you're comfortable with talking to who's in your workplace, then maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a Facebook group that you're part of. But just start asking those questions and finding what is working for people. It's like the same thing when you're trying to learn about birth. Don't don't seek out what's hard for people because everyone has challenges in every part of, you know, parenting. And um, But seek out what's working for other people and learn those positive aspects. And, and then it just changes your mindset that this doesn't, this doesn't have to be a terrible thing. There are ways to really embrace all of these components all together and, um, and make it work for you and your family. Mm-hmm. I love it. And be gentle on yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And know that it's normal to cry for the first week back at work. No one's going to judge you. <laughs> yes. An expectation. Everything will change. It'll keep changing. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets better. It gets so it gets easier and better with every week. Yeah. Um, Robin, if people want to reach out and contact you and know more about what you're doing and your classes and your book, well, how can they do that? Um, thanks for asking. So um, our, our website is San Diego Breastfeeding Um our resources are on there. So we do consultations, both in person, but also virtual, um, especially these going back to work consultations can absolutely be done um, virtual. So we have those options available. Our online class is available for purchase on our website as well. And all of your lovely birthful listeners get um, a $15 off like a discount on the course using the code birthful 15 Um, Our book is also listed on there as well as on Amazon. And then we have some pretty active Facebook and Instagram pages. So we're always sharing content and resources and support through our social media. So it's a great place to just stay in the conversation and um, 
Yeah. And, and, and keep getting resources. So, and then the one thing, um, you know, I just mentioned Facebook groups for getting support. So one of the, one of the perks of ordering our online course, the breastfeeding for the working family is that you get, um, access to our private Facebook group. So lots and lots of parents talking about positive experiences and what they've used to go in strategies for going back to work, as well as I host office in hours in there once a week. And so that way, anyone who's part of the Facebook group has access to me through a Facebook live to just get more questions answered that if it, if it needs more of a, a lactation consultant answer rather than a, a working parent answer. So lots and lots of resources for anyone who is seeking them out. Oh, that is fantastic. And thank you so much for creating a, a, a discount code for the listeners. That's so generous. Yeah, Very my good. My pleasure. My pleasure. And that, I wrote it down. That was Birthful15 for $15 yep. off. I will link all of that stuff in the show notes as well. Um, uh, but thank you so very much for doing this today. So helpful. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Robin didn't have for breakfast. So it is seven in the morning, San Diego time, and I have not had breakfast yet. My chai tea is uh, starting to brew, and I will pick that up as soon as we're done chatting. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.